morning, I'm going to be on an actual aircraft. First time in a while, like since, wow, February or early March at the very latest, for obvious reasons. I am excited about this. I am excited to be going to St. Louis. I'm excited for the start of baseball and the Pirates season, but I am tempering the excitement at least a little bit on the latter count. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports and the newly reborn DK Sports Radio, the podcasting network that brings you this show, the Pirates Pod in the afternoon, other programs that you can make sure that you don't miss by signing up, tapping a subscribe button. All of this is free on our various podcast platforms such as Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Anchor. We're everywhere. And it really helps us out if you set up for automatic downloads. Yeah, I'm going to be on a a Southwest plane, which normally I'm not wild about. Uh, That's my least favorite boarding system. But all of the middle seats are open through the end of September. Uh, Everything that I've read, and I haven't read it like a paranoid fool or anything, but I've done some reading as to how they're cleaning, how they're maintaining, how they're switching out the air. Fascinating stuff. Every three seconds. All of the oxygen in the cabin is replaced with new oxygen from the outside. I can't even imagine how they do that, but that's what it says there. New air filters, cleaning all the buttons and all that other stuff. I'm looking forward to the whole experience. I'm just looking forward to being back in the air. I'm someone who, ever since I was very young, for a whole bunch of reasons, did a lot of flying, a lot of commuting, a lot of traveling. And I'm not used to not being in an airplane for what's it been now, four and a half, five months That's a long time in my little world for that sort of thing. I'm looking forward to being in St. Louis. If you're going to open a baseball season, I always say there's a couple of road places I don't mind being for that. One is the obvious in Cincinnati with the parade that they do there. The game's oldest franchise really, really does that right. Again, we're talking about normal times. And St. Louis with the passion that the people have there, uh, the love, it's not an exaggerated term, that they have of the Cardinals is maybe without parallel in the sport. That said, you know, it's going to be empty, just like every other stadium will be empty. Um, the areas around Bush Stadium, which are now all developed finally, it took a while there in the downtown area, are going to be equally empty, I would presume. You're not going to see fans hanging around. You're not going to see people walking all over the streets dressed in red the way they always do. It's going to be a different experience. I've had a little bit of assimilation to that experience by being at PNC Park, uh, watching these scrimmages and exhibitions, getting used to the weird crowd noise and the pumped-in Vince Lashide organ and Tim Tobacco's voice, the PA announcer at PNC Park, but it's still going to be, you know, this is going to be a real baseball game played in this setting. But that isn't what has dampened or at least tampered the enthusiasm uh, that I have going into this season for the Pirates. It's the Pirates themselves. I've seen... 
and felt some stuff over the past few days to a couple weeks that I haven't really been all that crazy about. Uh, the first is that the last thing that this roster could have afforded, same as was the case in 2019, is injuries and guys being absent. And just like that, you're seeing the team enter this season without their closer, Keone Kella, without Gregory Polanco. Neither of them is expected to be out long, but, I mean, you know, it's a short season. And if you look at the opening to the Pirates' schedule, it's by far the toughest portion. They've got the Cardinals twice. They've got the Brewers in there. They've got four games against the Twins, who won 101 games last year in the AL Central and might be the only decent team over there. Arguably Cleveland still, but not what the Indians were last year. If the Pirates fall into some kind of big hole here early on, forget it. Forget it. So there's Kella out. There's Polanco out. Archer was lost, obviously, for the year. Luke Maley, backup catcher, lost for the year. Not to downplay what he was going to bring, meaning he's really, really good defensively and really good at game calling, pitch framing, and all that other stuff. Can't hit. He's a 200-type hitter. That's not an immense loss from any lineup. But the other guys matter. The other guys matter. Um and ideally for the Pirates, they have them back sooner rather than later because particularly in the areas of closer and right fielder, who's going to close for you? I've been advocating openly for Kyle Crick to get that chance for a while. I mean, this goes back to last winter that I thought he should have been fairly considered for that role, knowing Felipe Vasquez was never going to come back. Shelton threw... A uh, big old bucket of cold water on that in Bradenton. First day there, just declaring Kella's his guy. And, oh, Kella's not there now. Kella's not the guy. And Crick, uh, as much as I, as much as I really respect the guy, uh, and I'm aware that his stuff can play at a closer level. When he's all the way there, his stuff isn't all the way there. And we saw that in these exhibitions and the scrimmages, not just in the results. He gave up a home run last night in the 5-3 to three loss to the Indians in that exhibition game. But then he also gave up a soft single and got a couple quick outs, and, was, and that was that. So at least that was something of a recovery for him. But when he struggled last year, it was largely via the home run. He gave up seven home runs in his final 21 appearances of the season. He's got to be better both in terms of his control and his stuff. His fastball was getting up there last night at 91 miles an hour. The slider was down into the low 80s. He can't do that. He's got to have his velocity up. He's got to have his arm stretched out. And we're out of time. We are all out of clock for that. Maybe the adrenaline does something, but I don't think so. So I'm, I'm worried about the back end of the bullpen, and it's not just Crick. None of the relievers, not a one, zero, pitched well through this exhibition time. 
I mean, there were a couple of guys that at least straightened themselves out a little bit, notably Chris Stratton. But if you're talking about Chris Stratton, you're, <laughs> your ship sailed. Richard Rodriguez had a terrible outing in Cleveland. It floated everything, had all his pitches up. If that happens in St. Louis, the Pirates get pasted. Plain and simple. There's, there's nowhere to hide from this. This team, I've been saying this all along, even in my most optimistic assessments, this team doesn't have wiggle room. It doesn't have the flexibility to, well, if a couple relievers struggle, then they have this on the other hand. No, they actually don't. What they have are about, just winging it here, 15 to 18 players who, if they perform at an optimal level, the Pirates can not only compete, they can contend. I really believe that, but that's asking a lot. And it's asking an awful lot when most of them are coming off a summer camp slash exhibition in which they didn't really impress. And that goes double for these relief pitchers. It's a worry. I'd love to be the guy that hangs my hat on Nick Birdie. I mean, he's dazzling to watch. 100 miles an hour, effortless looking in his delivery to achieve that 91-mile-an-hour slider that's just a wipeout, just nosedives away from righties. Beautiful thing to watch. He's got 16 games in the major leagues, period, like for his life. He's not going to be your closer. He might not be your back-end option because of that. He's also coming off a serious arm injury. Managers will tell you they don't like to put players who are in such situations into those kinds of settings. Do you know what I mean? They don't want them to have that extra stress. So where's the relief coming from? I don't know. I don't know. Unless everybody just, you know, gets it all together in St. Louis, just like that. Right field is, I mean, I guess it's more easily rescued, uh, if only because you know that Polanco's going to be back. Polanco, of course, has the coronavirus positive test that he's got to overcome through quarantining, getting a couple of negative tests. We've seen other players do that. We've seen other humans do that. That's not seen as a big deal uh, with this specific player. So he'll be back, but how much will he have lost by not being able to participate in summer camp and working on that longish swing of his? I don't know. I don't know. I would feel a whole lot better about everything had Polanco continued doing exactly that. But he didn't. I would have felt a lot better about the Pirates' chances in general, as long as we're on the virus topic, had Cabrian Hayes been around to maybe push Colin Moran at third base. Something else I've been mentioning all summer. Really was excited to see this kid. He was out, too, for the same reason. Now he's back down in Altoona, which everybody knew was going to happen. He has this service time issue where if he's down at that satellite camp for just six days, the Pirates get to keep a full year of his service time moving forward. Anybody would do that. It's a no-brainer. I'm not blaming the Pirates for that, especially after this. But he's not around either, and we don't know when he will be. We don't know how far he was set back. There were things that he was working on with Rick Eckstein, the hitting coach, on his launch angle so that a lot of his line drives, and he was scorching the ball in the original spring training, turn into base hits as opposed to just sharp grounders. 
all of that's a little bit unsettling. I'm not sounding a siren here. I'm not saying, ah, they're going to stink. They're going to lose 100 games, even though they're only playing 60. And a lot of the stuff you're going to hear all over the place. Heck, some of it might be stuff that you're thinking. And that's fine. I'm just sharing now that I'm not feeling as upbeat about the Pirates entering this particular weekend as I had expected that I would. We'll see, you know? Go nuts, guys. Prove me wrong. Seriously, let's have some fun with it. It's still baseball. We still get to see, watch, cover, write about, comment on baseball. And that's a good thing. Right there when I said that and say, what are you talking about? <laughs> I hope so, because that actually was designed to get your attention going into this segment, which is always brought to you by our friends at the Greater Pittsburgh Food Bank. During normal times, one in seven people in our region are food insecure, including one in five children. Not knowing where your next meal is coming from can be a scary thought, and now during the pandemic... The need for food is that much greater. If you are in need of food assistance or if you'd like to support the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank's mission of feeding people and eliminating hunger in our region, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Spell it out, pittsburghfoodbank.org. One dollar can provide enough food to provide up to five meals. The Pirates actually have talented players, and if you were laughing at that when I said it the first time, it's, it's it's a real thing. And I don't know that they all necessarily need to be, like, setting the world on fire to achieve what I'm talking about. I think there's a core of guys that need to do very well, if not extremely well, for the Pirates to have a chance. The easy guys to look at in this one are the starters. Uh, the rotation has to come through. The rotation has to be steady. They've got to be putting six innings and change on the scorecard more often than not. If that's asking a lot of Joe Musgrove, Trevor Williams, Mitch Keller, Derek Holland had a pretty decent outing last night against the Indians, and then whatever form of piggybacking or mixing and matching that Derek Shelton and Oscar Marine end up doing with Stephen Brault, Chad Cool, JT Brubaker, however that shakes out. There are people there. They could do it. That's that's the easy route toward competing, much less contending in baseball, because if you have good starting pitching, you can do anything because you're in the game all the time. I prefer to look at this aspect, meaning over whatever passes for a long season this year, being that it's only 60 games. I think the Pirates need to produce consistent offense in order to stay in it, to stay 
again, not just competitive, but to stay in the hunt. And now that we're talking about openly between Major League Baseball and the Players Association expanding the playoff field to 16 teams, a lot of things will seem a lot more realistic. It's got to be on the lineup. It's got to be on the top half of the lineup. It just does. Try to picture any scenario in which the Pirates compete slash contend. I'm going to start turning that into a single word. And it, it, it just fizzles right off the bat. Picture Josh Bell not doing what he did in the first half of last season, for example. I mean, he ended up with the 37 homers, 114 RBIs, and everything else. But way too much of that was in the April, May, slash early June portion of the year, after which he really, really fell off. This camp's been a weird one for him. He has swung and missed at nearly everything. And yet, there he was last night with a 407-foot homer. The day after, or a couple days after, he put one out oppo up in Cleveland. And then he drives a double off the wall. This was also last night, and he's looking like he's ready. This is very similar to what happened in 2019. He had a couple of exhibitions down in Houston where he took what had been a pretty ominous-looking spring training and just all of a sudden started looking locked in. And we talked about it down there. I remember this at, at Minute Maid Park after the second of those exhibitions against the Astros, and he said, I'm telling you, I'm there. I am telling you, wait, you're going to see it, wait. And then sure enough, we saw it. Well, we need to see it all through this abbreviated 2020 season. A lot of this is on Josh Bell. That's not applying unnecessary or unfair pressure. He puts that on himself. He knows he has to carry the lineup. So all I'm doing here is stating the obvious. Kevin Newman and Brian Reynolds worry me in their own way because they were both so consistent through 2019, especially Reynolds. I mean, Reynolds was just a machine. Batting 311, 900 OPS. Um, hit for more pop than I think people could have expected. Actually, everything he did was more than expected. And yet, he was so methodical about it. And he delivered so often that you eventually stop doubting the kid. And the same thing ended up happening for Newman. Newman had more of his production later in the year, but man, he was an adult. He really grew up uh, as a shortstop and as a hitter. He also started taking charge a little bit in the clubhouse. It was fun to watch these two grow up the way they did right in front of us. Just, just take the jobs. Take the opportunities that were in front of them. Why would I worry about them? Plain and simple, they're two guys that it's hard to say that they're going to get better. Does that make sense? I, I had this discussion actually with both of them back in Bradenton, individually, not together. And what can you do that's better? First guy that I asked about this was Reynolds. What can you do to actually get better? I mean, you hit the hell out of the ball all last year. What are you going to do to raise numbers that, you know, aren't easily raised. And he said, well, there's a lot of different things that I can do to become a, a better player. And he started citing some specific things. 
he started talking about, uh, in particular, his defense. He feels like he has a lot of room to improve there, that he was learning a lot at the top level. Uh, Corey Dickerson, when he was here, was huge in terms of his influence on Reynolds and teaching him aspects of playing left field. Remember, Dickerson missed a lot of last season, and that was basically what gave Reynolds the chance that he got. Dickerson helped him. I'll tell you what kind of guy Corey Dickerson is. A lot. But is he going to hit better? Is Reynolds going to hit better? That's asking a ton. That's asking him to become Tony Gwynn, you know, statistically. Newman, Newman never hit like he did last year. He really wasn't that guy in the minors. I mean, he showed some of this. He showed some of the consistency, some of the power, particularly in a pulling sense. But he never hit like that. He never was that solid. So you wonder about him from a different standpoint, and that is, it was you know, was that his bump year? Was that his year where you look on the back of the card and go, where'd that one come from? I don't know. Believe me, the last thing I'm trying to do is rain on Reynolds and Newman here. Okay, Everything they did was was terrific, and I'm not knocking them. All I'm saying is it's tough to expect them to get better. The other one out of the top four can get better. That's Adam Frazier. There's no doubt in my mind there's more in that bat. Uh, it's impressive that he turned himself, he willed himself into being a gold glove finalist at second base, a position he really hadn't played before. That's very much to his credit. But there's a lot left in that bat. We saw that at times last year. My goodness, you might remember a stretch uh, shortly before the All-Star break where he looked like the greatest hitter on the planet <laughs> for like a couple of weeks. He was pretty much on like an 800 clip or something. Every single thing he did in the box was just beautiful. He has streaks and slumps, and in a 60-game season where your team needs you to produce offensively, where the team needs all four of the top four guys to produce offensively, that's not going to cut it. So understand that the hope that I have for the Pirates lineup is rooted in these four guys because I know that they can do it. I know that they have done it. I know that it's in there, and I know that it's in there in the very recent past. But I also know that there isn't any 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 significant amount of time for them to get going or to struggle through something. That has to happen right now. That has to happen in St. Louis. It has to happen against Milwaukee. It has to happen against Minnesota. It has to happen against the Cubs. All the teams that they're facing right off the bat. Picture the Pirates in two, three weeks being five, six games out with a you know month and a half to go in the season. They're toast. They're toast. It's over. This has to happen now. So yeah, as it's gotten a little closer between the stuff I uh, spoke about in the first segment and the stuff I'm talking about now, it, it gets a little bit grayer. But you know, there's no way I should end this podcast with something negative the day before the opener, right? So I'll tell you this. After I fly to St. Louis, I'm going to have another all-baseball show tomorrow. Once I'm there and once I'm at the Arch and once I'm seeing Bush Stadium, 
and I have my head a little bit cleared from all the logistics and everything else, I'm going to give a shot at a season prediction that is as realistic and honest as I can come up with. Doesn't mean I'll nail it. Doesn't mean I'll be able to pick and peg every injury or every other thing that might happen along the way, but I'm going to give it a shot, giving myself a full day to clear my head. How about that? Fair? All right, cool. Later today at 11 a.m., Alex Stump, our beat writer, and Noah Hiles will bring you the Thursday Pirates pod. They're really, really good at this, and you should give it a shot. These are two total baseball nuts. Thank you for listening to this one. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.